All right, so I just finished up my conversation with J.D. Scholten. Um, this is the intro to the podcast that I need to start doing for all of my episodes. But today we kind of got to be able to talk about uh, political issues and mostly from a nonpartisan standpoint where I let J.D. talk about his things. And I don't, I don't like turning these things into uh, a knock on uh, Steve King specifically, but I want J.D. to be able to tell people um exactly how he feels about topics so we as voters can make the most informed decisions possible and i think that this is a good outlet for the people of sioux city to be able to see um an unfiltered take on jd's opinions and not just get like the 15 second little bites that you get on the news or um the one paragraph of jd's positions that you get in the newspaper so uh yeah i think that you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation and also a plug for myself right here um if any advertisers in the local area are looking forward to uh, or are looking for places to uh, reach an audience in, in a non-typical fashion uh, I do have thousands of people that listen to every episode so this would be a great place to advertise your business or service so uh, go ahead and send me an email at honeywavemedia at gmail.com if you are interested in that but if not what you could do for me to make this show bigger is to number one share it with your friends post uh post clips of it to your instagram stories uh share it on twitter share it on facebook all of that stuff helps me so much um and then leave reviews or ratings on the itunes store um or whatever wherever you listen to podcasts at subscribe to my youtube channel at honeywave media um any one any one of those things is a huge help and a huge service to me and i cannot thank you enough for turning it tuning in to listen so uh i hope you enjoy this conversation that i have with jd Scholten. Welcome back. This is episode 15 of the Sioux City Show. My name is Taylor Grody, and I'm hosting this thing. In the studio today, we have our first return guest. It's Ooh. J.D. Scholten. Uh, J.D., go ahead and like tell people who you are and what you've been up to lately. Yeah, uh, J.D. Scholten, born and raised uh, here in Iowa. Uh, uh, I'm from Sioux City. Spent most of my life here, and I decided to run for Congress about 15 months ago, and, and we got a month left of the campaign, and what we've been able to accomplish by just getting out there to the people and really focus on a, a people-powered movement. Uh, we've taken a race that traditionally is about 22 points, and, and we shrunk it to uh, within six. And the things that we're seeing is the only thing that's holding us back at this point is name recognition. And so you'll probably be seeing uh, uh, ads on, on Facebook, ads on the television, ads in the newspaper, ads on the radio everywhere. Uh, to really just blitz our, our message uh, these last uh, few weeks. Love it. So, uh, what? Let's think. You are you're the Iowa District Four candidate, right? So the Democratic candidate. Yeah. Yep. So, so that inclu- encompasses uh, Sioux City, Ames, Fort Dodge, Spencer. Is there any other like Ma- Mason, City, Mason City? And then we go all the way down to uh, Missouri Valley. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, what kind of uh, changes have you been seeing from like day one of your campaign yeah. and I, we'll, we'll go day 15 <laughs> I don't want to say day one, but uh, day 15 of your campaign to now is yeah it, is, has there been a change in like vote or turnout uh, at any events you're doing so this is our th- we're on our third 39 county tour right now we're doing a town hall in all 39 counties but when we launched the campaign I, I didn't know if I could raise five dollars I didn't know a lot of things being a first-time candidate the one thing I knew I could do was work my tail off and uh blessed enough that the Des Moines Register called me the hustle and grit candidate. Um, and so I, I put 35,000 miles on my personal vehicle going to all 39 counties. 
And then uh, we got a used Winnebago. Uh, I call it Sioux City Sioux because uh, I learned the, uh, the Gene Autry song in elementary school and it sticks with me the rest of my life. And, uh, and, and so we went to all 39 counties for a second time and now we're on our third 39 county tour and uh, doing a town hall in all 39 counties. Call it the Camp Fake Showing Up Tour. Mm-hmm. And when we first went out there originally, people were like, oh, you're like the sacrificial lamb. You're just like, good for you for running in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, second time we went around, they're like, oh, you're not just not Steve King. You're actually standing for something. And, and so people were getting excited. And now it's it's amazing right now. Uh, uh, we're getting uh, packed uh, uh, up in Sheldon, northwest Iowa, not a de- Democratic hub. We had standing room only uh, for our town hall up there. And we had 100 people in Sioux County. Mm-hmm. Um uh, last night or yesterday, and 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 just there's a buzz. We had uh, 50, 150 people in Boone, 182 people in Dickinson County, and there's just this level of energy, and you see this hope in people's eyes, mm-hmm. and this hope for change, and it's it's awesome, and it's just it's it's what 15 months ago we would hope would happen, and and here we are living it, and and everything I see is this race is going to come down to razor thin margins. Yes. I want to put an asterisk on this because yeah. I, you know, just for anybody listening, I we we do have a relationship outside of the podcast right. where um, I just tagged along with JD for a couple of days on his Can't Fake Showing Up tour, where I was able to capture some video footage and put together a little small or a couple small videos for him. So I've seen your schedule, yeah. and I know that it is, it's it's not a joke. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's running around constantly every every deadline. I mean, you're having to run five minutes late to basically everything because yeah. everything is scheduled in five minute increments. And, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot of stress, a lot of pressure mm-hmm. for anybody who's running for this. So, and you're a young guy. Yeah. So I don't think that, you know, you don't get You don't run for Congress because you want, you know, name no. uh, somebody to know your name or you want any type of type of fame for it. So like, what is it truly beyond like, you know, the, the, easy campaign bullet points that you yeah. can put on a website. What is it that like well, made you actually do this? It, there's a lot of different things. Uh, um, the Obviously, being a first-time candidate, 2016, that election influenced me quite a bit. Uh, but for me, it was, it was seeing my grandma. Um, she's my inspiration in my life and, and this campaign. And uh, seeing her at Thanksgiving, she's like, J.D., uh, I was living out of state. And she goes, you need to move back to Iowa and take care of the farm. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, grandma getting heavy on me (laughs) and uh and and so then uh she passed away the next month and it was at the church where i gave the eulogy i just felt that pull to come on home and i I started looking in the sioux city journal for about a month for a job and the best job i could find was 15 bucks an hour with no benefits and i was working in in seattle and in technique uh and uh technology and innovation and there was there was so much booming out there and for me to come back home and i was just like What's up with this? And and then I the farm went from my and we rent our family farm out and and it went from my grandma's generation to my generation and I, I started looking at the farm economy and I was like, well, why is why are uh, folks getting squeezed so hard and and farming's not like it was when my grandpa was was farming and so I started digging more into these things and then for about a month uh, there was nobody in this race on the Democratic side and I was just like, you know what, uh, I can't let Representative King. Uh, go on his own and just, um, uh, I mean, he's, he's well known. And, and, and this whole thing, this whole time I was like, you know what, this isn't about us 
just calling him names. This is about what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and what my vision for this district is bringing in technology, bringing in uh, modernizing this, this and diversifying our economy so we can have uh, uh, quality jobs. And it, I mean, the Democratic Party talks about raising the minimum wage. I'm for that. But for this district, we need 55000 65000 $75,000 jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and we need leadership in this district, both on the agriculture side and, and in places like Sioux City. I, we have a huge opportunity right now with Highway 20 opening up for transportation, to have uh, warehouses. And, and there's a lot of potential here. But I, I want us to tap that potential and, and live up to our fullest and and, and that's what it boils down to. And, and then I saw the map of this district, and that's what really got me because uh, I don't know Des Moines that well. I, don't, I didn't go to uh, uh, University of Iowa, so I don't yeah. know Iowa City. I don't know Dubuque. I don't know Cedar Rapids that well. What I do know is Larchwood, where my dad's from, the very northwest corner. Mm-hmm. My mom's from the uh, farm outside the very northeast town, which is Lake Mills. They met in Mason City. Uh, and I was born while well, we were living in Nevada. I was born in Ames, and I was raised most of my life and spent most of my life here in Sioux City. And so that's kind of the four corners of it. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I get the people here. Like, I completely understand. I understand why a lot of them vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I and I don't necessarily agree with everyone, but, like, I understand it. And I understand what the people want. And, and uh, I mean, it's so frustrating to have a, a representative who isn't doing public events, who's not doing town halls, who's uh, not willing to debate me. And, and so uh, we just wanted to show the contrast, that not only issues side, but like that contrast of me going to out there, all 39 counties, being, represent, being present, uh, having that engagement. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that is what is missing in this district. Yeah, I, it really hits home with me when you mention the lack of the 55 to, well, let's call it 100000 yeah. between fifty and $100,000. There's yeah. a big stat gap, and lot, there's not many wages at many companies that you can find in between that, that range. And I uh, actually gave a speech or a, just a, a talk to the Entrepreneurship Club yeah. last night at Morningside College. And uh, since I'm a photographer, there was actually a photography class that, that the teacher brought over um, her whole class, and a lot of the questions I got was, um, how do you recommend that we get like good paying jobs after we graduate from Morningside College? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I took a lot of uh, air out of their sails <laughs> when, when I said, like, you know, in Sioux City, I can tell you that there's maybe three places where you can actively get employed as, yeah. uh, as a, you know, a creative. And your wages, you can expect maybe 40 as being a top tier yep. creative wage. And they're like, wait a second. <laughs> Say I, what? I'm, I'm at a private school, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, so it's like uh, they got to worry about student loans that are at an all-time high. And then they also have this lack of career options in the place where they want to spend, you know, a lot right. of them want to spend the rest of their lives raising a family. And uh, I've also been privy to, you know, some conversations with people starting, you know, tech businesses or even uh other cool trendy businesses right. that would be like present in a city like Denver or whatever yeah. and that they just have like an absolute lack of uh, opportunity or right. resources or incentive to do it <coughs> in Sioux City so how do we incentivize whether it be um, 
companies that, with infrastructure already in place being right. able to move offices into Sioux City where they can provide higher wages or um, companies that are starting, how do we incentivize their growth and their uh, remaining in Sioux City? Do you have like any type of plans for that? Yeah, and I like to call it the new rural economy. And, it, and mm-hmm. not to say that Sioux City is rural, but this district's rural. And it's, it's a, uh, giving them folks opportunity to, to raise their family where they were raised. And you know, it's, it's having that traditional agriculture, but then it's having that advanced manufacturing, and then the third uh, component is the technology part, and, and, and really imp- emphasizing technology. And like Iowa State University this past year graduated 1,400 students, mm-hmm. and only 258 are still working here in Iowa in technology. Wow. And and I would assume the majority of them, I don't know the stat, but I would just assume uh, ninety at least 90% is around the Des Moines area. Yeah. You know? Uh, Des Moines and, or even like what a, the Silicon Prairie right. is Cedar Rapids, Iowa City. Area. Right. Yeah. And and there's and so there's just that lack of, of uh, coming outside and beyond just what Des Moines is. And, and this whole like western half of the of the state uh, really doesn't have that entrepreneurial spirit and, and and so ways to incentivize that and it's would be federal working with state and, and local and and um, um, we just it's not there for us right mm-hmm. now and uh, we start seeing things like right now in Jefferson uh, they have a, a tech kind of startup company that's allowing f- uh, folks in Jefferson Iowa in Greene County uh, to have a seventy thousand dollar job wow. and and uh, that, that's what we need. And, and like Ames, they have a, a company called Workiva mm-hmm. that uh, I, I like what they're doing. And, and I wish there was more Workivas uh, here in Iowa. Yeah. And, and if anybody's listening and they are interested in the, uh, the current state of technology and the technology industry in Iowa, I really am, encourage you to listen to a podcast um, by the Technology Association of Iowa that is called, oh my gosh, uh, I think it's called Technically Iowa, oh. and it is hosted by Beth Trejo, who's a Sioux City yeah. business owner. She owns Chattercake. Yeah. So uh, it's actually a great podcast, and there's a uh. lot of good insight with uh, tech entrepreneurs from the Iowa area. So, so, we'll so world's that. coming together on this because my yeah. uncle is one of the leaders of Iowa Technology Association. Okay. Uh, he's the uh, chief technology officer at Principal. Sweet. And it was for years he's like, oh, talking about tech in Iowa. And for years I'm just like, yeah, in one ear, out the other. But but now that I, I, I've realizing the impact it has in this district, mm-hmm. like uh, it's, it's I mean, it, it's right where my heart's at too. I think that there was a big uh, kind of uh, excitement and then almost uh, air being let out of the balloon when uh, Apple put a data center in. Yeah. Do, well, do you know anything about that? Yeah, so that's that's a lot of what happened at the state level, so things down in Des Moines. And mm-hmm. so what happened was, uh, and, and this is what I don't want to happen, is that we gave huge tax breaks to, mm-hmm. to Apple to have that data center. And like having the data center here, I'm for it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to bring that. Heck, we should have a data center just south of uh, Port Neal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would want to push for that. Uh, but I mean, cause they don't really bring in jobs. It's about 50 jobs for one of those massive warehouses full of, of, yeah. of uh, tech stuff. And, and, and so it, it, that wouldn't bring a ton of jobs, but it's just part of the process. Uh, but, but we gave so much tax breaks to Apple who would all, they would probably come regardless. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the frustrating thing is that that tax break then doesn't bring in the revenue to the state. And so then we cut uh, revenue to, to education or stuff like that. And, and that's, um, and, and here's the other thing when, 
when you incentivize companies to come based off of tax breaks, mm -hmm. there's another state that will probably undercut you yeah. before too long. Yep. And so that's why I'm not a huge, I don't want to bring Google to this district, but I want to bring technology to this district. I want and, them to bring their fiber to this yeah, district. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, yeah. for, for real. Yeah. And then, then we can work on that and build on that together. Mm -hmm. And that's my dream uh, for this district. And, 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 and like, even on the agriculture side, I've go out to these farms. There's so much technology out there. Crazy. And, uh, and yeah, it's yep. nuts. But they're only using a small portion of what they could use yep. because we don't have the infrastructure to make them boom. And agriculture technology could be our huge thing. Yeah. And it really it really should be. It should be. I mean, Do John Deere is... Uh, are, they, are they the biggest company in Iowa? I think that John Deere, Rockwell, Collins are kind of in the same ballpark I, I, as far as like yeah. revenue produced and revenue supply. Yeah. Um, but I have... Uh, Two people that jump to mind specifically that are around my age. One is a he is a farmer, a full time farmer. He owns he works his family farm, and it's a small family farm. They farm organically, mm -hmm. and he is three uh, D prints his own uh, like drone parts and pieces, oh, and like cool. and, and you know is is creating drones and creating uh, other applications through three D printing for yeah. uh, both you know for his tractors, for his combines, and making sure that he can keep the runs or the farm running smoothly as a family farm. That is tight. In, yeah. You know, two thousand and eighteen, when corporate corporate farms have so much more uh, disposable income to be able to make right. these technological advancements. And then the other one is uh, he works at his family farm down uh, right by Whiting, in between Whiting and Hornick. And he has a drone that has like the infrared capabilities yeah. that he's able to see crop status. Oh, uh, that's that. You know, yep, from that, his home. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that stuff is so fascinating to yeah. me. And I think that there is a big, uh, you know, when that has that kind of usage. Yeah. There's a big loss that we have when we're not like incentivizing, uh, basically like high school graduates and our right. college students in our in our state to be able to um, further their education specifically in those industries to make big leaps and bounds uh, nationally and globally uh, in technology for farming. Well, in, in when we talk about technology on the farms, we talk about efficiency, mm -hmm. you know? And, and uh, what's happening a lot right now is with uh, the runoff and the way that climate is working uh, uh, against a lot of our farms, uh, we're losing uh, our topsoil. We're, we're having uh, nitrates get into our water system. And any time that uh, uh, like farmers lose uh, the nitrates, that's that's cost on them. Mm -hmm. And so we got to find ways to all work together and all work for the common good and, and the common goal. And 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 so bringing technology onto the farms would help make them more efficient, make them more sustainable, make them more uh, uh, at one with with uh, Iowa, you know, and, mm -hmm. and and cleaning up our waterways and stuff. And it's not like farmers want to pollute. It's just that things are changing and there's mm -hmm. adjustments both in the economic side and the environmental side and, and we just need to work together. Yeah. So speaking, staying on the topic of farms, I am a person who tries to give myself an education, but I am also uh, an idiot. And, <laughs> uh, I just want to make sure that... Uh, let's put a pen in this just for a second. <laughs> So, uh, sorry about that. We, we just had, we just had some coffee delivered. To the studio. So, uh, That's my bad. so, um, what I was going to ask you is like, speaking of farms for uh, a young idiot like me who tries to educate himself, but can't always do so in terms of macroeconomics, how do the, how does the farm tariffs affect, uh, people in Iowa, yeah. uh, the farmers in Iowa? Yeah. So, uh, 
it, it goes beyond just the tariffs. And I'll give you a little bit of a, my spiel right mm-hmm. here. Is there's three things that our federal government right now are t- attacking our district when it comes to agriculture. Mm-hmm. The first is market consolidation. And when I talk about it, it's mean like when when multiple uh, companies merge together mm-hmm. uh, and so buy like each other. Bayer up. buying Monsanto. Bayer, exactly, yeah. and that's yeah. exactly it. And so that shrinks the market. And so anytime you take a market option out of the equation, it adds costs and pressure to the farmer. So cost of productions are are going up. Mm-hmm. You see the seed prices uh, are have, have tripled in the last twenty years, uh, and, and part of it's technology, mm-hmm. but but also there's only like three or four seed companies anymore and mm-hmm. there's only like three or four uh, fertilizer companies anymore. Yeah. So it, it really limits and they set the price where there's um, farmers can't find a, another option. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. And so uh, there'd be antitrust laws that are already on the books. We're just not enforcing them. Okay. Uh, the second thing is the renewable fuel standard, which uh, for ethanol. Mm-hmm. Um, so the big thing, Trump uh, uh, campaigned on E15 year round. Yeah. Um, I'm for that, and and uh, it, that's kind of the, what the standard already says. So it's not like he's uh, creating something that's not already like been established. Yeah. It just needs to be enforced. But the other side of it, so so he's promoting that right now. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole backside to it where the oil industry pretty much runs the EPA and the, what the renewable fuel mm-hmm. standard is right now, and so. Uh, there, there's small refinery waivers. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, the reason there's these waivers is to let uh, like a, a small oil refinery saying, you know what, we can't blend uh, our certain percentage because it will hurt us economically too much. So they, gave, they wanted to say, hey, if, you, if it's going to be a too burden for you to make any, any money off it or any profit off it, mm-hmm. here, here's a waiver for you. But now these small refinery waivers are being used by uh, and abused by a lot of bigger ones, yeah, and yeah. so uh, so what that has allowed is uh, there the renewable fuel standard allows for I, I believe it's 15 billion bushels of corn, is it bushels or gallons? No, no, I'm sorry, 15 uh, uh, billion gallons of, of ethanol mm-hmm. to be in the fuel supply, but but with these small refinery waivers, that has left what what corn should be used right now, it's left almost 900 billion bushels of corn to be left in the bin. And so that carryover has depressed corn prices because they're left in, in the bin instead of being used. So there's more supply. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a little wonky, but because yeah. of that, it's depressed corn uh, prices right now by up to 40 uh, cents a bushel. Wow. So that's our own government attacking our corn prices uh-huh. and, and siding with uh, big oil rather than Iowa farmers. And, and the two big uh, uh, people who, who are anti-ethanol are uh, oil companies and, and Ted Cruz because he's funded mostly by oil companies. Yeah. So uh, Representative Steve King, when he endorsed Ted Cruz in 2016 for um, the president, president yeah. that's a blatant disrespect to the ethanol farmers yeah. or the corn farmers and ethanol industry right here in our own district. So, uh, okay. So when we're talking about, you know, bringing incentivizing technology and technology growth in Iowa, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think of that personally as just an Iowa thing. I, right. I believe in incentivizing technology and technology growth nationwide. Right. Um, but how, I guess it's in terms of moving into the future, how do we balance the, the, um, increased attention paid to technology and technology development, especially in terms of, uh, you know, uh, 
electric powered cars like right. Tesla, where the government has given Tesla, you know, millions and millions of dollars in subsidies, which right. has been able to create like this new future for uh, cars in the automotive industry. And then also, um, I guess, protecting or maybe finding a way for Iowa farmers and ethanol to become viable in this further in, in this future economy of well, driver, or, uh, electric cars. So here's a huge thing is there, there's been a lot of research in what we can do with corn and, and other uh, uh, crops. Mm-hmm. And that, that research is being cut right now by the federal government. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, so what's next on the forefront for farmers? It, it, it's we don't know because there's a lot of things being cut, but um, like the research is being cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did want to get into the tariffs part. Okay, uh, that's yeah. the, the third p- component. Um, so r- to sum that all up, right now we're borrowing money from China mm-hmm. to give to our farmers not to sell their products to China right now. Wow! And that doesn't make much sense. No. And uh, you ask any farmer, they want trade. They don't want aid. And so you hear trade, not aid all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so because we don't have that market right now, mm-hmm. bean prices and pork prices are just dropping. And, and because there's uh, too much production. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's one of the, that's a huge issue. And, and so now, it, I mean, it took about 30 years for us to get into China with our, our soybeans. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not easy. And you have what's called the, the global supply chain. Uh-huh. So, like, once you establish yourself in there, it's, it, it's easy because, like, the infrastructure to, to bring your product out there, uh, it, it's hard to, to switch and stuff. But now it, they're looking at South America. Yeah. And so for us, if they start using South America and the infrastructure is there, what incentives is it for them to come back here? Yeah. You know? Yep. And so getting back into markets is not as easy as like um, just like saying, oh, yeah, we're going to sign this again. We're going to negotiate mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And, and like you hear like little countries like, oh, uh, Taiwan, uh, Taiwan's going to take some soybeans. You know what? That's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely great. But uh, I, I... Well, that's why they call him Soey Steve. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that thing you put out? Uh, well, yeah. I, I... So I... I, I did. Yeah. It, but here's the thing. We're trying to re-sign LeBron. Mm-hmm. Get in a role player, you know. Yeah. That's not our goal. Yeah. And so you look at... China's looking down to South America. Who's down there in South America helping those farmers? Mm-hmm. It's the same multinational company... Uh, corporations that are here. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have loyalty to the Iowa farmer. No. So right now we need leadership and we need to figure out and f- Iowa farmers need to find who's going to be fighting for them rather than fighting for the, the, the global uh, farm system. And, and I think that's one thing that, uh, that King is uh, very weak on. And we called him out in mm-hmm. that in the Sioux City Journal and it was, it was pretty clear the distinction between himself and myself. I I feel like that really cleared it up for me. So thank you on that. I'm sorry it got a little wonky, but uh, <laughs> no worries. Um, I, I love uh, talking agriculture. Yeah. I'm fifth generation Iowan, first to be raised in town. It's like my that's what my ancestors came here for. Mm-hmm. They came to farm the lands here. Mm-hmm. Let me. We got to put a pa- put a pin in this just for a second. I got to take a bathroom. Break. Yeah. All right, we're back. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> irresponsible on my part, but we are back at it. Irresponsible um, bladder. That was yeah, the name of- irresponsible bladder is <laughs> that's, the problem. It's yeah. my name of my next band. There we go. There we go. You heard it here first. Breaking news. Um, so did you did you happen to check uh, to see the the Kanye 
<laughs> the Kanye meeting with Trump. And I, I do want to preface this by I am a firm believer in the destigmatization of mental health mm-hmm. in America. And I think that what we're currently experiencing is the middle of a manic episode um, right. from Kanye West. That, like he's, he, he's just been on a, a mental health decline since the death of his mother. So I don't want to like just say, oh, this guy's crazy. What right. an idiot kind of deal. Right. But did you did you get a chance to like see that whole meeting? Uh, I, I just saw very clips, some small clips of it. Um, I will say I saw him in concert uh kind of uh i mean it was amazing mm-hmm. it was it was spiritual mm-hmm. uh and and uh I, I don't know it just uh it was after, it was a life of pablo tour oh, okay, yeah. and and it was early on when he was really on it and mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was just it was awesome but uh um I mean, we talk about mental health on the campaign trail all the time. Mm-hmm. Iowa is 51st in the nation in mental health beds. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, two things I tell folks all the time when it comes to health care. Uh, I'm open. I want to. I want to somehow find universal health care for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a couple things I absolutely need. And when I talk about mental health, I talk about uh, right now farmer suicides are on the rise. That's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about 22 veterans a day. Uh, for several years now, that's a stat that commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Th- those are unacceptable stats. Mm-hmm. We need to deal with this uh, right now, and and um, it, it's it's and I I mentioned this at every one of my town halls. There's a lady in Mason City that came up to me afterwards, and she goes, um, I, "I really liked what you had to say. I just want to tell you a story how uh, my husband's one of those 22 a day, mm-hmm. and so she had three little kids. She moved back to Iowa to help raise them with her family." And um, her son, her, her oldest son, was uh, getting about 16 and was starting to struggle with mental health issues and, mm-hmm. and the loss of her, uh, his father. Mm-hmm. And so she started bringing him up to Rochester, and, and which is a hike. Mm-hmm. And, and um, she couldn't get up him up there enough, mm-hmm. and he ended up taking his life. And so now she's left with two kids, and her next daughter is dealing with PTSD from those two deaths. Yeah. And so she's driving down to Iowa City every week, but, like, she's, she has to work. So and, and so she's just like, you know what? Iowa doesn't have the capability of taking care of my family or, yeah. or allowing me to take care of my family, and so she's probably going to move out of state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking. That It really is because, uh, you know, I, you mentioned this in – uh, I believe it was Fort Dodge. Yeah, it was Fort Dodge. That you know, the when somebody does have uh, a mental health episode that requires outside attention from yes. within a family unit, that they're going to one of two places: they're going to go to jail or they're going to go to the hospital. Yeah. And both of those things, especially in uh, people that the average working person in uh, Iowa, they don't have the money for the jail, the court costs, right. and they don't have the money for these surprise emergency room visits. Right. So how do we, how does that get addressed, I guess, at a, at a government level? Like how, what kind of programs can be, do do any other states have solutions for those type of issues? Well, it's one of those things that's going to have to be addressed, uh, probably federally funded, but through states, mm-hmm. uh, like or something that that's part of either Medicare or Medicaid. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, so much of rural health right now is funded by Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in Iowa here, we've seen the privatization of Medicaid that's really hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and now at the federal level, if we keep the same Congress, they've talked about cutting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security mm-hmm. and uh, because of the, the tax 
bill that happened. And I mean, if we cut Medicaid and and funding to Medicaid, it's it's going to just devastate rural communities uh, mm-hmm. because, um, it, like, you go to nursing homes that are almost a hundred percent funded by Medicaid, or, or so then they're, they're going to have to consolidate, mm-hmm. or or uh, a lot of places are sixty percent funded um, by Medicaid, and so. I mean, those those are direct impacts, mm-hmm. and, and so it you'd have programs uh, to to help with that, uh, either federal programs or or state programs to help with that. Awesome. So I, I do have a question that you, you might not be able to like you might not be the expert on this. Yeah. Um, which I, I it's think probably the case. I'm not gonna lie. There, <laughs> there's something to be said about I, I I hate it when something happens on the news and they're like, oh, this politician didn't have the exact answer th- yeah. for the question we asked. It's like. I don't want my politician to act like he knows the exact answer. I want him to go through the actual expert. Yeah. Um, But the question is, what has happened with medical insurance to the point where, and I was, I I thought maybe I was crazy for thinking this, but I was able to talk to my dad who is a, is a PA and about his thoughts on the whole system. And he uh, also didn't have like the answer for what happened to the insurance system to get us to the point where, I'm 28. I have no I have no pre-existing conditions. I have no health problems. Yeah. I don't go to the doctor. I think I've had one time where I actually had to go to like an urgent care yeah. in my life. And my insurance as from the free market mm-hmm. as a freelancer is $561 without a, yeah. a month without any type of subsidy. That's $10,000 a year. Yeah. Um over that. I, wait, no. I don't know. It's like $6,000 a year <laughs> over that. But yeah. Um math but yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um so and then i i was like kind of freaking out about that fact it, yeah. like where like i start weighing the pros and cons of like even having health insurance because what does an er visit cost right. if i do have to go to one right um and i asked my dad i said you know what what is going on and how do i how do i fix my solution or fix my situation and he said i've seen the same thing happened with uh clinics where we used to um Basically, like we don't get anybody in in January and February because somehow the insurance system with all companies basically is turned to you have to hit like an eight thousand dollar deductible before you even really see those copays kick in. Yeah. And even once you do there, a lot a lot of them have like twenty percent in network or forty percent out of network. So you see things like uh, somebody's appendix bursting yeah. can cost a family twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. So what do you know? What the systematic changes in I'm- the insurance industry have been to lead to this? Right. And so, well, it, it kind of stems, and I'm not going to say I'm an expert on this, but this is this is my understanding of it, is back in the day, uh, I think it was as a result of World War II or something, mm-hmm. where uh, people were trying to incentivize people uh, to work in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And and so they couldn't really do more pay, but what they could do is, is benefits. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's when you started seeing uh, medical benefits relating to your job. Um, and, and so that's kind of where it started at. And then as it's developed, um, these, I mean, these are private companies. So health insurance are private companies that are, are, they have stockholders. Mm -hmm. They, they're trying to make a profit. And, and, uh, you see right now, um, that like 20 or 30% of, your medical bill is administration costs, mm-hmm. and, and and I mean that's you're, when you're paying CEOs Crazy. for all mm-hmm. for all this money and, and or just upper management and stuff. It's it doesn't put the person first, mm-hmm. and and so that's uh, that's one thing that I think is very frustrating is in our medical our healthcare um, world, 
we're, we're putting profit over, over care. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. Uh, and, and, but in doing that, it's costing the American people. Uh, it's not efficient. People are getting broke through systems. And like when I was in my 20s playing minor league baseball, mm-hmm. I mean, I was in the off season. I was jumping from job to job. I was maximizing my body. My shoulder was hanging on by a thread. I was lifting weights, doing everything, throwing all the time. Mm-hmm. There was times I didn't have health care because I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm maximizing my body. And, and at that time, my health care was praying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got super lucky. Yep. My catcher in college uh, was playing double A, ends up getting cancer. You know, yeah, and, and and so what's the difference between him and I? I and just one got it, one didn't, and mm-hmm. it's just pure luck. And so, um, the the way the system is right now, it's it's completely broke. And like we're paying the most uh, per person, even before the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. we were paying the most per person in, in all Western developed countries. Yeah, and, and so we're not getting a very good bang for our buck. And so that's why. Uh, like Obamacare and, and America Ford or uh, the uh, Affordable Care Act, yeah, it was a, a step in the right direction, but it was also a huge compromise. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the the big compromise that wasn't there, that wasn't put into it, was putting in a public option. So that's not a company. That's mm-hmm. that's just the government having uh, an option. And and so they're not the government's goal is not for profit. It's just to have a. Uh, 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 a healthcare system right there. Yeah. And so that ideally would drive costs down because people, if you have the option to, to have something that's not for profit compared to the profits, mm-hmm. most likely that's going to be the, the solution people will go to. Yeah. And for me, that's the first step for, for universal healthcare or Medicare for all. Okay. So I, I do have a question about universal healthcare. Is yeah. that I am, I'm not a, I'm not a big government guy. Mm-hmm. Just intrinsically. I'm really not. Um, yeah. Which but, is okay, <laughs> but I do ha- I do have like this uh, um, I, I I have like this thought process that I go through where I go I I've driven past plenty of insurance companies to know that they have these multi million dollar huge buildings and it doesn't seem like they're hurting for money right and I've driven past plenty of hospitals that have these giant medical campuses and they're not hurting for money right. and doctors are all driving Porsches yeah so. You know, me as a private citizen, because the private citizens are mm-hmm. the ones funding those those campuses, right? We're effectively making two industries filthy rich, yeah. right, as it currently stands. So I'm kind of uh, going like, maybe we could consolidate this, and it does make me go, maybe universal ba- or universal healthcare is the answer, right? Because then we can just like not make two system or two right. industries rich in the current system, um, and yeah, like how. So is there is there like a dollars and cents that I'm I'm missing oh, there because it seems like a no brainer to me right no yeah. it that's the issue yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so uh and, and part of that is you know what I don't want the federal government part of the healthcare I, mm-hmm. I would I'd rather it not but we've had decades for them to figure out a solution mm-hmm. and this is where we're at and, yeah. and this is hurting the American people um, when you still have millions of Americans that are not on healthcare any healthcare services mm-hmm. and just um, I mean you even look at uh, like a, a, a corporation that offers ten dollars an hour. Yeah. You work your you work a hardworking forty hours a week. Yeah. And but they don't offer benefits, so they're not making enough to to pay for healthcare. So they have to go on government subsidies. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And yeah. and so there's a lot of stuff like that. And, and so I figure. And there's so many different like. You can get on Medicare, you can get on Medicaid, you can uh, do in private and like bouncing around and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think just 
Medicare for all would be simple. It'd be cost effective. Um, and, and even the Koch brothers, the, the Republican, one of the big yeah. Republican donors, they came out with a study that said it would be one of the most cost effective and it would save billions of dollars. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I don't want a bigger government. Mm-hmm. I don't want a smaller government. I just want a better government. Yeah. And, and I think this is the most logical step we could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, yeah. I should also like something that like really hit home with me that I heard you actually say was, uh, the bankruptcies in relation mm. to medical bills, which is that's like, nuts. It's, it's insane to me. Yeah. It is absolutely insane that like even when the American public is getting screwed on medical costs, the American taxpayer is then getting screwed again because of the bankruptcies incurred right. by medical costs. So go ahead and tell me those yeah. figures again. Yeah. So sixty yeah. percent of all bankruptcies right now are medical related, mm-hmm. and of those sixty percent, seventy two percent of those people had health insurance. You know, yeah. the system's broke. Yeah. And, and, uh, and well, when I fill up, uh, when I go to Casey's or, or, or stop at grocery stores, you usually see that donation box for someone who just got sick or someone who just uh, got in an accident. Mm-hmm. Like we have people begging yeah. in order to pay for their health care. And, and that uh, to me, we we're the wealthiest country in the world. Mm-hmm. We deserve better. And, and you look at GoFundMe sites. One in three GoFundMe sites right now are for someone who's trying to pay off medical bills. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, I had the, uh, the opportunity to do videos on behalf of a, a homeless shelter here in Sioux City. And I, I guess I had always been, uh, I, I was raised, you know, middle class in, in a small town, Sergeant Bluff. Yeah. So I, I didn't have much exposure to homelessness. Yeah. And from an outsider looking in, I kind of always was under the assumption that homelessness was the result of uh, drug abuse or mental illness, yeah. which is unfortunate that that's even a fact, but that's what I thought. And after doing these videos with uh, this homeless shelter, it was. I got cancer and I was working as a day laborer. I didn't have health insurance, so mm. I'm homeless and I couldn't get any health care or I couldn't get health care. So one guy rode his bicycle from Mississippi to Iowa to be able to go to the gospel mission and be able to find the health care he needed. Another guy had a uh, got uh, like catastrophic cataracts, so he couldn't yeah. he couldn't see and he couldn't work and he had no way to get rid of his cataracts because he didn't have health insurance. And it's like story after story after yeah. story of people who's and it's and it's truly the like you said it could have been it could have been me just as easily the guy that had this cancer pop up in my life that I have to right. deal with and like the fact that that can lead to homelessness in right. America is I think one a tragedy of our current system right and and so uh, uh, and like Democrats mm-hmm. never talk about like their faith that much mm-hmm. and, and so uh, like I'm I have a pretty strong faith in my myself and and. Uh, our campaign's taken a pledge called the Matthew 25 pledge. And basically that's, uh, Matthew 25 is about you treat the most vulnerable is, is like treating me. Uh, that's what Jesus said. And, yeah. and so the pledge is to protect and defend the most vulnerable. And, and I mean, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. um, like we're not, we're only as good as our most vulnerable. Yeah. And like playing on teams, baseball teams all the time. Uh, you're only as good as your right fielder or whoever yeah. like the weakest link is, mm-hmm. and so like I believe that that the uh, like rising tides r- r- raise all boats, yep. you know, and, and like that's what I want. And so so often you hear like you, people picking on um, the people who uh, are poor, yeah. and and the people they're like oh they're just living off of food stamps and all this stuff. And it's like well my vision for this district 
is not to have more people on food stamps. My vision is to have the jobs to lift us up mm-hmm. and, and to pay for things. And, and you, you see stats like the average 30-year-old gets paid what a 30-year-old did 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Wages are stagnant, mm-hmm. but health care costs are at all-time high. Housing's near an all-time high, and student loans are at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. So people who are trying to do things right are not making it. And then you see like this tax bill that money goes to corporations and, and goes to the 1%. Well, the rest of us are still trying to struggle. And, and, and um, that's, that's what I'm doing this for is because I see my neighbors, I see the working class uh, just really struggling, even though they're trying to do things right. Yep. And I let folks, when I do these town halls, the first thing I tell everyone is this stat, that the average person in Congress is 58 years old with a net worth of a million dollars. I'm 20 years younger and a million dollars short of that average. And I say it to get a laugh, yep. Yep. but I say it because it's true. And, and like, there's enough folks in D.C. who are fighting for uh, tax cuts and, and to get more money and all that. But what about the rest of us who are just trying to earn a dollar to raise our family yep. and, and do things the right way? And yet we're not making it. And mm-hmm. that's what I feel is missing in D.C. And, and I mean, like you mentioned earlier, like, like I could give a rat's ass about um, uh, name recognition or anything. Well, I need it for the camp yeah. to win the campaign. Yeah. But, but, but fame, like, yeah, fame. fame. Yeah. Like, you know what? I don't care. I want to represent my people rep- and just work my tail off and engage with the community and represent them in an honorable uh, manner out in D.C. And I could, when I'm there... I don't care about special interests. I don't care about lobbyists or all that stuff. Uh-huh. I'm working to fight for the people of this district. Yes. And I, I should also add in here, I am not, I'm definitely not a Democrat. <laughs> I'm not a Democrat mouthpiece. I swear <laughs> to God. I am, I, I'm a registered independent. Yeah. I, I'm, I've, I'm historically right of center, but uh, is it dying? Yeah, it's all right. Sorry. Laptop was going to die. <laughs> I'm historically right of center. And, I, I, you know, I run, I run in pretty Republican circles for the most part. Yeah. And one thing that I always say is, like, I don't think that what I work for or what the next man works for, anybody else is entitled to. Right. I certainly don't think that anybody else is entitled to my money. But I do think that we have an ethical responsibility as human beings to make sure that when it comes to things like universal health care, that we don't make things like, oh, Canada has really long waiting lines when everybody can go to the doctor or this. There's people in America that die from a lack of health care. And I think that that is a fact that we cannot just gloss past. Right. That we have an ethical responsibility as human beings to make sure that that is not the case. So when it comes to looking at solutions um, in terms of our healthcare system that we need to look at what is the best possible um, benefit to the taxpayer right at the best co- you know what's the what's the best cost to the benefit and right. I don't think that I actually I know that right now in our current system the taxpayer is getting screwed right on, on the current system no matter how you break it down so the fact that anybody would be re- resistant towards reform of that system is crazy to me yeah yeah um, another question for you <laughs> Uh, what is, did you see that Facebook got hacked like last week that 30 yeah. million people's data was compromised or 30 million? I know I had to reboot mine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the question is like, uh, you, you hear a lot about as we, as we modernize the voting system and our political system, people, uh, suggest that we should move to like some sort of 
electronic voting, even, yeah. like even over the internet, people have suggested. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on like that kind of system, or even like cybersecurity moving forward, and how well, do we manage this type of deal? I think that's one of the biggest things. Is is, I think the next war will not be guns, will not be bombs. It will be cyber if it's not already happening. It was. And that's it what, is. right. Yeah. And that's why we need to invest in cyber security. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say, Steve King and I agree upon, is mm-hmm. a wall. But his is <laughs> the yeah. border wall. Mine's for a cybersecurity wall to protect our government yeah. uh, uh, from outsiders. And and uh, it, it's it's scary. But uh, when I was living in Washington. We had mail-in ballots, uh-huh. so it would be mailed to us. You can read through everyone and everyone's stance, and not just on the like U.S. House or or for uh, governor or for president, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. For like that very down thing that like county commission, county, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you can read and have mm-hmm. an educated um, uh, vote, mm-hmm. and and I'm for that. And I'm for easier access to voting. I mean, this is our democracy, and, and yes. or representative, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, republic. Um, yep. But but this is how it is, and it should be easier to vote, not harder. And and mm-hmm. and, and so uh, I'm I'm for the, uh, finding solutions to that. As far as I think we have a huge crisis on our hand, as far as technology, mm-hmm. um, like who has the right to say what and when and. And um, it, it, there's no easy solutions because I know the, there's the, the First Amendment and, mm-hmm. and we need to honor that. But uh, if, if there's is something that's hurting the common good, mm-hmm. we need to address that. And, I mean, we haven't addressed the fact that Russia uh, was in Facebook meddling yeah. with, with our election. Yep. What's stopping them from doing it? Right now, yeah. So I, I actually have a few. I'm, Ooh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty well versed on this. <laughs> All right. Um. So like the first thing is like Russia meddled, America meddles in Russia, America mm-hmm. meddles, in, and everybody meddles. And that's right, right. that's the name of the game. Right, it'd be right. a, it'd be shocking if if somebody wasn't meddling. Russia probably did it great, but yeah. to me, like the thing that when when the meddling stuff came out, it was like Russia released the uh, the Hillary emails. It was like, so they they told me what she was actually. Say, they right. told me the truth. You know, like, yeah. I, I mean, I was kind of like, uh, I, I, I don't know if I don't know if I'm ready to count that as like an attack on American democracy when we're when we're g- given more transparency. But I, I'm more I'm more talking about the like the false ads that, and the bots and, and stuff. that. Yep, yep. I, that is need, needs what to be addressed. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, but the hacking of emails uh, mm-hmm. by a foreign entity mm-hmm. uh, on a, a major political party. That's a major issue too. Yes. Um, I'm for transparency and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. I honestly, the whole email thing, I haven't really got caught up into. I don't know. Like that's just white noise to me because mm-hmm. that's like a pointing finger thing. Yeah. Um, and I would say the same with uh, if it was a, a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. Um, uh, when it comes to no, like what 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 are we going to do with Facebook and mm-hmm. like like. I know it's been harder this election cycle to put ads mm-hmm. uh, on there, and then there's the information about what you're reading, mm-hmm. and, and that's good. And we need that transparency. Yeah. Um, uh, we need to find solutions when it comes to technology, and and like if there's hate speech, like mm-hmm. it, I I don't know how do we deal with that. I I have also like some like real big a big picture pro or questions and problems. But, uh, you know, one thing is that you, you mentioned, like, I believe in the First Amendment, but I also think that we need to support a common good. Yeah. And I think that uh, 
when it comes to companies like Facebook, yeah. and we'll give a specific example of like censoring Alex Jones, where I, I believe that Facebook as a private company has 100% authority to ban anybody from their user base or anybody from their platform. But I have a I do get worried when it is when the verbiage becomes is for the common good yeah. or anything along right, those lines. Right, right. Because I do think that uh, dissenting voices like Alex Jones's are necessary to maintain a healthy uh, a healthy discourse on a broad spectrum in a com- in, in a country. Even though he says absolutely asinine and crazy things yeah. about like uh, the. The school shooting and that Sandy Hook thing is yeah, just Sandy disgusting. Hook becoming yeah. like that's disgusting. Yeah. However, I do think that Alex Jones has said insane bef- insane things before about the government. Yeah. That everybody called him insane, and it was 100 percent true. Yeah. Like when he was talking about the Bohemian Grove, and and people call him crazy. That there's no way that there's a cabal of rich people and politicians yeah. that get together in Northern California every year and worship a god owl. Yeah, <laughs> and like that's crazy to hear. Yeah, when he says that, and then he infiltrated the actual Bohemian Grove, and then proves that it's all real. Well, I mean, and then where do you draw the line? You know, and, exactly. And, th- and that's that's the struggle, yeah. and and um, I guess I mean that's why mm-hmm. I, I don't know where to take this. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I I do think that I get very nervous about when when the verbiage of like, and and, and you just said it, be, mm-hmm. uh, not in in terms of like a, a hard line stance, right, but right. when when like the common good gets attributed to people who are dissenting of uh, of the government Where, here's a question uh, i have for you especially okay. for someone who you're not a democrat yeah. uh, how like do you see the same thing on the democratic side or do you see this as more as a um i just feel like there's that area of whether it's breitbart or or infowars that they don't necessarily believe in truth <laughs> yeah yeah I do, I do you know um I, I and i do and this is oh god it's such a hot button topic i know because I i'm know, gonna be I i'm gonna uh, there there will be people that hear what i'm about to say and instantly think that i'm just and, a real and, piece of shit well no um, but and i want to preface this too uh-huh. is like because i don't see it on my side uh-huh. as much but um i just how do we get to a place where, where when I see a... a well, in, here's an example. Mm-hmm. There was a mailing that came out that a woman brought to the town hall uh, the other day to me, mm-hmm. and it blatantly said, like, I'm not for something. Uh, I can't remember what really? it was. I was just like, what the heck? Yeah. I mean, this is a blatant lie. Yeah. You know? How do we defend America from blatant lies? Yeah. That's my goal. Yes. Or, the, or that's my question. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I will say... Democrats lie as much. I mean, and, and Republicans yes, lie. Everybody yes, lies. Yes, it's, a, it's a, like well, and and the tribalism of bipartisan pot- right. politics just is inherently filled with lies. Right. right? Um, that I think that things like when when uh, Elon Musk proposes that uh, um, they come out with a new platform in which you can each journalist articles as they come out, you can you can have like a voting system on like the the actual verification of truth within that article. Yeah. Because I think that things are inherently misrepresented over and yeah. over and over. And uh, unfortunately, it seems like uh, when, when we're talking about like Republicans versus Democrats yeah. and, and the amount of truth that's coming out is that uh, unfortunately, it seems like the Republican side often it, like takes the hardline stance of like we tell it how it is. Like, yeah. Even if that makes us sound racist, that's how we do it. And and then on the other side, the, the Democrat side is like, 
we're so dogmatically for the common good that any any narrative that does not exactly fit our narrative, whether it be on like uh, transgenderism or yeah. sexism or you know anything, where if you go against that accepted truth from one tribe, we'll call it tribe, yeah. uh, that it's you're you're just awful. You're yeah. you know, and and I think that there's like there needs to be a more a bigger focus on having dialogues. Yeah, because. I was thinking about this the other and, day. And that was the whole point of our town halls. Mm-hmm. We don't invite just Democrats. Yep. We have we encourage independents and Republicans to come. Yep. And and I tell everyone right away, is like if you have a, a different opinion, and that's what happened in Dickinson County. Mm-hmm. A guy had a different opinion, and everyone jumped on him and said, keep on seeing your Fox News or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I told him, whoa, 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 whoa. I go, we have the right in America to have this dialogue. Mm-hmm. Let him finish and hear them out. Yeah, you know that's what the, it was for. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, but. I, I have this. I have this thing right lately where there's there are things that you cannot you cannot talk about in any way that is not in favor of the overall public discourse on on whatever the issue is. But like specifically on well, just for a big broad example that you can break it down to a much more micro level. But like when Hillary Clinton is running for president. Yeah. And, and uh, a person can say, I don't think that she is fit to be president because of this or this or this. And they can be absolutely true yeah. and good points. Like, I, I don't think that the, the collusion amongst the DNC to prevent Bernie Sanders from becoming the, can- the Democratic nominee, I think that that is as much tampering as with the American political process as anything that you can suggest Russia did. Right. And I and I think that it's just abhorrent to uh, American voters that that did happen. And that you can point to that and say, I don't think that Hillary Clinton is uh, fit to be president because even after that comes out and uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is relieved as being the DNC chairman, yeah. then she becomes Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. That's very troubling to me as a, as a person who sits in the middle and tries to make up his mind right. either way. And the fact that, like, the narrative around that, that time was that Trump is such an awful human being if you don't believe in Hillary Clinton then you are a sexist. It was the was the quick jump to reaction for most people who were in the Hillary Clinton hardline camp. Right. And I think that there needs to be a way that we can do away with uh, the label of a specific opinion being called sexist, racist, yeah. homophobic, transphobic, whatever whatever word you want to use, because it prevents having an actual dialogue about important issues. Because I think that. Um, myself I'm, I'm just I'm not a sexist person I'm not racist I'm you know I'm not homophobic and if something I say in the middle of a conversation about a bigger topic is something that you can hand pluck and you can write it in a magazine without any tone or intent or any nuance being included with it and you can give Taylor Grody the label that he's a racist yeah. I think that that's a big problem on a national scale yeah yeah yeah, and I I think that that's how we start mending that is where, um, well, you know, it, we have people who fit into these camps that are like the the really big like godsend saviors of these movements, being able to tell people who look to them for guidance, uh, that hey we can have this actual conversation without it being labeled as such. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's a tough. Uh, I mean that that's tough, and especially mm-hmm. when you have just two sides, mm-hmm. you know. And, and when I w- I played baseball in Europe, and when I was learning about European politics a little bit in college, uh, there's so many. You have uh, eight political campaigns, yeah. and so you have to build coalitions to win and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And here it's just this 
or this. Yeah. And it just it's destined to to just polarize and and just fight and um it, the American people are really hurting right now because of it and and like it, it, you get things where just Congress isn't doing anything. Yep. Yeah, completely. Even action. the farm bill, yep. the farm bill, which has not been partisan, is now a partisan issue. And and who's who's getting hurt by it? The farmers. Yep. And it just it, it pisses me off. Awesome. So I know that we got <laughs> I know that we got to get wrapping yeah, things yeah. up here. Um, this brings me to the point in the show where I like to ask you, um, what do you think is the most slept on thing in Sioux City, City, or we can even go, we can go the area for this one because, you know, you, yeah. you represent a large, large area. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even thought about mine. I'd, so. <laughs> <laughs> you thought about it or you uh, haven't? I, I very, very soft. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Uh-huh. I forgot this question was coming. Oh, okay. Um, well here, I, I'll go with mine. Right. I think that the Perry Creek walking trails are, um, very underrated, and they are one of the most beautiful things in Sioux City, and they are part of the more, uh, the the west, you know, downtown to the west side, yeah. where um, typically when people are thinking of outdoor activities or things to do with the family, they don't head right over to the west side. So I think that it is a great thing for our community, and is a great example of uh, the Sioux City local government really yeah. taking initiative to improve Sioux City, and I think that uh, people should get out and utilize the system much more because I, you know, I'm out there pretty much every day walking my dog, and I'm able to walk from my house on the west side to uh, almost downtown within like five minutes because the trail's so perfectly yeah. connected and uninterrupted. Man, that's beautiful. I, I don't know if I can come up with something <laughs> as yeah. good as that. No, I, I mean, for me, this time of year, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, we haven't even been able to see it much uh, because of the crappy weather, is, is a harvest. Oh, yeah. Um, last year, when I was driving... Uh, non-stop uh, like doesn't matter what time of day or night uh you, you just see the farmers out there yep. and to me like i just like I, i've seen it in different angles and and like growing up with my grandpa being a farmer and everything but like to like to to follow it all year round like riding in the cars riding this like there was mm-hmm. a the detour on highway 20 brought me to around holstein <laughs> and there's a certain spot that i took pictures uh every time i i went past and to mm-hmm. see the thing rise, then oh, see okay. the harvest come, yep. and then the winter, and then f- the spring again. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, it just that cyclical. Just uh, it's 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 pretty beautiful and, and special to me, and and to see the all the moving parts and mm-hmm. and what makes like corn corn and, and beans beans and yeah. yeah. There's a there's a filmmaker from Remsen named Josh Berendes oh. who uh, I'm gonna link these in the bottom uh, in the description of this video on YouTube or Facebook. Um, but he made uh, a documentary. It was like a 25-minute documentary about what it is to be an Iowa farmer, and he called it uh, uh, Dawn Till Dusk. And right. I, I actually helped him out with it last fall during the harvest. I went yeah. up to the Remsen area for a couple of days with him and got some shots. Oh, and, I'd love to see it. Uh, he recently just released it, and it's, like, beautiful. And he also has, like, a drone film that he uh, compiled. When he was shooting the documentary, he compiled about half an hour worth of drone film wow. of uh, – farmers out in the fields during harvest season and it is beautiful and it is like one of those things that even if you've moved away from iowa you can go oh yeah i remember that i remember you know those cold fall nights yeah yeah yeah. we just released our uh campaign commercial and it has a lot of agriculture things and and a couple of my friends who live out of state they're like that's that's like an iowa tour tourism commercial not a campaign commercial love it love it yeah 
Awesome. Hey, man, I always appreciate it. Yeah. Any uh, any closing remarks to the Um, the people of Sioux City? Well, I guess uh, like I've been going around. I mean, this is the final stretch, and and I mean, you've heard my politics here, and so I guess I'll ask uh, everybody the same thing I tell everybody at the end of our town halls, and I ask for two things. One, I ask for your vote uh, either from now to November six, and the second thing, I ask for you to pray that my RV makes it to November 6th, because uh, I love that thing. And, and it's a great RV, too. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Winnebago Industries. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. So, thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, thank you. Love so. Yep. yep, and and if anybody out there has any connections to the Steve King uh, political office, I would love to have him on the show and be able to uh, talk about his issues. So until next time, this has been the Sioux City Show. Thank you so much. I, I also would like to, because we're trying to debate him, but we can't. We don't hear from him. So. We could have Steve King and J.D. Schulten on the yeah. same couch right here having I, a debate. I think that's what the debate should be. That is what it should be. That is, that is <laughs> politics at work. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And leave reviews, comments, subscribe, all that good stuff. Later.